It's green and growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. On 95.5 WSB. All right, things could be getting a little harried for your Saturday morning. Good morning, 7 o'clock hour. You really don't expect to wake up to severe weather this time of the day, but uh, WSB radio meteorologist Christina Edwards joins us live. You just heard her update there for a thunderstorm warning coming through, what, Bartow and Cherokee counties, Christina? That's correct. Right now, the worst of the weather is now south of Adairsville, and it's pushing east of Kingston. But Cartersville, it's bearing down on you at this moment. And you heard me mention Cherokee County. Even though you don't have a severe thunderstorm warning just yet, uh, these storms will be marching their way into your county over the next few minutes. But let me mention where some of the stronger winds are located just to the north of Cartersville, right on top of Urley. And as we take a look a little bit further south in Polk County, we also have heavy rain, perhaps some small hail and damaging winds in the Rock Mart and, and Cedartown area. That may potentially make its way into North Paulding County as well as North Cobb and South Bartow counties over the course of this morning. So, uh, so Ashley, I'm right now monitoring Bartow County, but Cherokee as well as North Paulding and North Cobb should keep an eye on the radar along with me, Ashley. And the hail, of course, Christina, is indicative of just the severe weather and the conditions, right, that are coming through Yes, when you have hail, that means you have strong updrafts. It's able to keep those hailstones lofted. Uh, real quick, the way hail is formed is that you have some raindrops that go up higher up in the storm cloud. They freeze, they fall back down until the wind pushes them back up. They get a little bit bigger, they freeze, they come back down, so on and so forth, until they're too heavy to stay lofted and fall to the ground. So the bigger the hailstone, the stronger the storm. Ooh. So far, it looks like this may just be pea-sized hail, but any hail report is super helpful. I'm on Twitter. Ashley, you're on Twitter. I'd love to see any hail reports that you may have this morning. Thank you, Christina. Appreciate you. Uh, all of your calls are welcome this morning on the show. Yes, we had a little snafu with some technical stuff right before 7 o'clock, but we're pushing forward. We got this. I still want to talk to you. 404-872-0750. So many of you asking about the effects of the Christmas freeze, and that's just what I'm going to call it because that's what it was when temperatures got down to the single digits. And then, oh yeah, we had a couple of other freezing events uh, in February and March that were concerning as well for folks. So many of you wondered what impact is that going to have on crops, specifically us being the peach state. Well, of course, we can maybe see some effects of that. Farmers were fearful of the spring freezes that we had. Uh, with more on that is our own WSB anchor, Sabrina Cupid. 50 to 60 percent of the state's peach crop could be damaged. Lee Dickey with Dickey Farm says it'll be a couple of weeks before they know the full extent of the damage. They look good. They look healthy. They look great. But is there damage you can't see? He says it could mean fewer peaches on store shelves and a short peach season. The consumer is going to have to be on the lookout. They're going to be having to be pay attention to when there's Georgia peaches available. Sabrina Cupid, 95.5 WSB. So, of course, I hate to hear that for us as consumers, but my biggest worry and, and uh, you know sympathy goes to the farmers as well. That could be a major economic impact for the state to lose up to 50 to 60 percent of the peach crop. And, of course, the fear is when the trees had already bloomed out and budded out, then you have the freeze that kills the flowers and then there's not going to be any peach, any fruit coming from that. So I try to keep up with all of that and a good way for you to as well when we're talking about 
the potential of our last, you know, frost date on the calendar. Uh, we look at averages over the course of many, many years. There's weather stations throughout Georgia that register all of that information for all of us, not only for scientific purposes, but for just us wanting to know first frost date, last frost date, uh, rainfall, soil temperature, and so many other things. A great website for that, and I know meteorologist Christina Edwards follows this too, is georgiaweather.net. Georgiaweather.net tells you all you need to know. You just pick the weather station that's closest to you. There's not one in every town, but all throughout Georgia, those are scattered. So pick the city closest to you, and you can get all of that information when you go to the calculator. So looking at the last frost date, you know, it could be as late as April 22nd, as we know. Uh, and we have experienced in years past generally tax time. April 15th is the best time to safest time to plant because we used to say Easter, right? And Easter changes. Easter moves on the calendar. So that's not really as accurate anymore. Received a great question on the Facebook page as well from Cindy. She said, I live in ball ground. I'm anxious to hose off the back deck and the front porch. I took all my cushions inside because of the pollen, (laughs) all of that yellow stuff. When am I safe to put all of my cushions back out? hose off the deck, and we say goodbye to pollen. So one of the best places for us to get the uh, daily pollen counts is on AtlantaAllergy.com. That's the website for Atlanta Allergy and Asthma. The pollen counts are still staying pretty high. Last Sunday, last Wednesday, they were up in the 12 and 1300s, in the 900s yesterday. But generally, tree pollen, that's primarily from oak and birch, Uh, Even pine, that rises in late March, finally dies down by May, maybe. Uh, Grass pollen starts in late May, so that's another round, but that's not generally the yellow pollen that we see. And then ragweed, of course, comes around in August, so everyone is always uh, very up and in tune with that as well, especially when all of that just makes you crazy. So check in at... The website atlantaallergy.com to stay up with the pollen counts. Hopefully pine pollen and all of that is certainly on its way down. But as we just mentioned, having to be aware of tree pollens like oak and birch as well. 404-872-0750. So some of the research and show prep that I did yesterday uh, got to host Atlanta's News and Talk with Mark Aram with Dave Baker host of the Home Fix-It show. We had a great time yesterday. Got a lot of great, great questions. Uh, Many pertain to the freeze, whether it was on gardenias, tea olives, all kinds of things. Of course, weeds in people's lawns. And you all, of course, come up with the best questions being dedicated listeners every Saturday morning. But uh, prepared some notes for when Dave and I were on together. Didn't really have time to get into a lot because we took calls. We took questions. Um, But I made some notes about things that look alike in the landscape right now that you may be identifying it as one thing and it's actually another. And Walter Reeves, the Georgia gardener, posted a great one. And it's the one I'm going to start off with. People going, wow, this hydrangea bush looks huge and the big puffy white blooms. I didn't think hydrangeas bloomed this early. What is this large tree? Everyone is mistaking a snowball viburnum for a hydrangea because we do know that the hydrangeas aren't blooming yet. We're ready for the macrophylla, the mop head, the big puffy blue or pink or purple hydrangeas. We prepare for those closer to, you know, early summer. And also then after that, we prepare for the panicle hydrangeas, the one that are a little more cone shaped. They grow uh, on new wood. 
So if you've cut back your panicle, your limelight hydrangeas to nothing like I did back around St. Patrick's Day, all of that will come from new wood. So that's going to take a little bit longer. So the panicle type blooms after the macrophylla, the mop head. But yeah, you see snowball viburnum right now. And that is just such a stunning plant in the landscape. There's a lot of different varieties of viburnum for sure. But uh, snowball bush is what you're seeing. The blooms look just like a hydrangea. It's so pretty and from a distance looks so, so great. So that may be one of the things you are mistaking right now. That way you know the time of year based on the time of year what you're looking at at that moment. Another one, as I was pulling weeds out of my yard yesterday, I thought, you know, I've got a lot of dandelions, but they look different. Some of them look different. And I shouldn't have let them grow as tall as they were, but I I did. So dandelion, and there's also something else, another weed called sow thistle. And sow thistle looks a lot like dandelion, but from totally different families as well. And the way you can tell the difference, the leaves are a little more edged on sow thistle, and they're a little more bristled um, and sharp almost. But the flowers are going to look a lot like a dandelion. So those can be mistaken as well. And so many people on social media, you know, the coming of spring, people happy when they start posting daffodil pictures over a month ago. But the next round now that we're seeing dogwoods, Kusa dogwoods especially do really well here in this area. People posting pictures of their dogwoods. Another plant that looks very similar to it, almost looks more like a shrub, not as much of a tree form, is the double file viburnum. There's that word again, viburnum. There's so many different plants in that family. But you'll have to check out maybe on Google or even, ooh, I know, on my Facebook page. That's where you can see a picture of the double file viburnum. And it's named for the way the flowers are, almost growing double along the branches. So I actually forgot I had a picture of that. That was years ago, but I do. Uh, when I was producing for Walter Reeves for so many years and trying to learn more about plants and all of that seven, eight years ago, he said, I have an assignment for you. When you come in on Saturday mornings to answer phones for my show, I want to know what you're observing. I want to know what you're seeing and learning about. So start taking pictures of stuff that you see. And we called it highway horticulture because I was always on the highway to and from the station to and from my multiple other jobs back in the day. And so I would safely uh, take pictures of things I was identifying. And it was this time of year when a lot of new things were coming out that I just wasn't sure what they were. So I've carried that photo album over to the Facebook page and it's called Highway Horticulture. So follow me on Facebook, search Green and Growing WSB. Check out that photo album because there is, there is a picture of a double file viburnum and that way you don't get it confused with the dogwood. All right, I have more on that list plus the top three things to do in the landscape this weekend, not necessarily this morning. It's going to be rainy, but stay tuned. You're listening to Green and Growing on 95.5 WSB. The WSB News and Traffic Teams will keep you updated all weekend here on 95.5 WSB. Listen first thing Monday at 5 a.m. for those important news, weather, and traffic updates. Now back to Ashley Fresca and Green and Growing. Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Here's your garden to-do list this week. So nice to be joined by meteorologist Christina Edwards live and that weather update brought to you by Finley Roofing. The top three things to get done today, tomorrow, this week, whenever you feel like it. Number one, green grass in your Bermuda. And I mean really green grass. That's likely Poa annua, annual bluegrass. Try digging it out, but better yet, make a mental note like we talked about with Danny to apply pre-emergence herbicide, the weed preventer in September. You apply that in September, it's going to kill all the seeds before they can, well, they start to germinate and then it knocks them back. So you have a lot less Poa annua, annual bluegrass 
come December, January, February, March. Number two, fill those hummingbird feeders and get them up. Use only white granulated sugar. And the formula is one part sugar to four parts water. That's what you want to do. Number three, divide ferns. Boston ferns, the overwintered. Congratulations if you did that. Break them up into four sections. Put two in each new hanging basket with some fresh soil. You can also start to think about repotting houseplants as well that you may be taking outside. They want that warmer weather as it comes. Aloe is going to be one. Orchids and bright light. Mine are flowering right now. Yay. So after they're done flowering. Uh, when we come back, still some plant lookalikes and some questions from all of you, including one about ivy. Coming up next on Green and Growing, you're listening to WSB. It's green and growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. On 95.5 WSB. So you just heard meteorologist Christina Edwards there say severe thunderstorm warning now for Fulton County. Moving into the heart of Metro Atlanta runs through 815 this morning. If you could delay any of your outdoor activities by an hour or two, I would recommend you do that. We'll check in with Christina in just a little bit. Uh, But hopefully all of this will be out of here by lunchtime, if not sooner. So that would be totally awesome for your Saturday afternoon. Welcome to Green and Growing. Already almost 70 degrees in Metro Atlanta, so it's going to be a warm day and an even nicer day tomorrow. I want you to get out and enjoy the landscape, enjoy the yard and everything that's blooming. 404-872-0750. So still talking about some plants that look alike, right? I was telling you, you're not actually seeing uh, hydrangea blooming right now. If you see a plant with Green leaves and big puffy white blooms and flowers. That's actually a snowball viburnum. Uh, My parents had one at the house when I was a kid. I remember always taking an Easter photograph right next to the snowball bush. So that's what you're seeing now. Another one that's going to be opening up here soon is Virginia Creeper. And I don't want you to see Virginia Creeper and get freaked out calling it poison ivy. Granted, a lot of people do have skin reactions, adverse skin reactions to Virginia creeper, just as they would poison ivy. Me, I'll take Virginia creeper all day long. Poison ivy and I do not get along. I have probably no less than six different chemicals at my house to fend off uh, any poison ivy rashes because I'm out in the yard and I'm not going to stop working in the yard. But What I started doing is, A, wearing rose gloves, you know, when I'm working out in the yard, the ones that go all the way up to your elbows. But even then, I'll put plastic bags, like I'll poke holes through the bottom of a plastic grocery bag, put that over my fingers, run that all the way up my arm, hair tie it with a rubber band on my elbow. I look so hot when I do yard work. (laughs) And then have that on under the glove because I have just been through the ringer with poison ivy. So I don't want you to mistake one for the other. Virginia creeper has five leaves. It's always going to have five leaves. They come from all, they radiate from one central point and all go out. And one of the things you look at is the serration on the edges of the leaves. And it's the same. They're serrated on the left side and the right side of each leaf. What may be interesting for you to learn about poison ivy, yeah, you know, it's got three leaves, you know, leaves of three, let it be, right? But with poison ivy, if you get close enough, don't touch, just look, that serration on the leaf is only on the bottom side of the two leaves that are across from each other on the bottom side. You got the third one going straight up. 
but the ones that are this symmetrical on, on either side. The serrations only on the bottom part and the top of the leaf blade is smooth. So this, the top edge is smooth, the bottom serrated. That's another way you can tell the difference, whereas Virginia Creeper has the serration throughout. And I recently got a question on Facebook from Louise. She said, I've got English ivy in my yard. That's another one you really don't want to deal with. English ivy, a permanent way to get rid of it. She said, I hadn't seen much until recently. Things started growing and you'll notice new clumps coming up too as birds carry it. You'll notice new little patches starting. So she said, I've read that pulling it up is really the best way but is there a chemical that will kill it? And I don't want the chemical to kill everything else that it touches, too. I've got a lot of trees in my area. So that's a really great question, a very thoughtful question from Louise. What I have recommended for folks is what personally works for me is BioAdvance. It used to be Bayer, the Bayer label, but now it's BioAdvance Brush Killer. Um, and that is in the blue bottle, and that works great. Uh, the active ingredient is triclopyr. And so that's going to be a little more selective rather than a glyphosate, you know, a Roundup that you're going to spray. Yeah, that'll kill the ivy, but it's going to kill everything else, too. Um, as you're applying it at the base of a tree, it's not really going to be deadly to the tree because the way Roundup or glyphosate works is it's a, fol a foliar application. So it's, it's being applied to the leaves of the plant that you're trying to kill. So obviously a tree is not going to have that issue. But if you still want to be safe, uh, BioAdvanced Brush Killer active ingredient of triclopyr works pretty well for that and march every year is when i get after the english ivy because everything else is still dormant and brown in the landscape so i can really get in there without anything else in the way i wear boots because i know snakes are starting to come out about march as well but wear boots again i just look so attractive when i'm doing yard work if you could only imagine uh, but getting in there and pulling the English ivy, just pull, pull, pull as much as you can, manually remove as much as you can. And you really want to kind of pull back to the base where its origin is in the ground and pull out the entire root. And of course, it'll set multiple roots along the long, long stem as it grows. But if you can get it back to its point of origin, that's going to be better because uh, it's going to slow it down. And what I did this past month in March, as I said, I do every year, went around my trees. I had three trees in particular that had a lot of English ivy growing up. Them. And I mean, it was grown up to 30 feet high, right? So at that point, I've let it go too far. But arborists always tell you if you're going to remove any ivies from the base of trees, you need to go two feet high. So from the base of the tree up two feet, do whatever you can to get the ivy out of that two-foot area. That way, everything above it, it doesn't take much time at all. You'll start to see it all dying up above within a matter of a week or two. And right now, a month after I've done all of that, it is all brown and crispy up the tree. So I have a good feeling it'll take some time for the dead leaves to fall and it'll start looking a little bit better. But um, taking that away and doing a buffer of two feet at the base of a tree is good. You don't want to go at it with a, what's that called? Uh, edger, weed eater. Yeah. You don't want to go at it around a tree with a, a weed eater because you're going to injure the bark of the tree. So if you can get in there with hand pruners and prune and just pull, some of the bark may come off with the ivy, depending on what you've, you know, what tree you've got, but it's still better than trying to injure the bark right with a weed eater or something so hand prune it if you want uh 404-872-0750 michael i believe we've got a call on the line now from jennifer hey jennifer welcome to green and growing hi how are you great i love my peonies and they're in pots and 
they've got the buds on them. And I'm trying to protect them from this rain coming uh, because when they bloom, they're so beautiful. But when we get a rain, they don't dry out, and the blooms just start to rot and fall. How can I prevent that, or can I, outside of just trying to cover them, which is difficult because they're so high? Now, you're thinking that them staying waterlogged is what's leading to yes. the, the buds dying? Yeah. Huh. Especially when the flowers open. They're not open yet, but when they do open and we have the April showers and mm-hmm. rains and everything, and it just doesn't dry out, and the buds just start to turn brown. And I mean, not buds, but the blooms turn brown and rot. I mean, the flower just falls apart. Yeah, and, and mine the same way. Mine are starting to come out of the ground. I've already got the peony ring in place, you know, so that the new growth will come up through the ring and they're um, staked up. Staking them up, A, is going to be good because, you know. They are. They're staked good. up. That keeps them from falling on the ground, plus good airflow yeah. around them. Honestly, if you have enough of them, Jennifer, I know this may sound sad and silly, but rather than letting them wilt and, you know, get brown and, and waterlogged outside before a rain, I would recommend cut flowers and cutting them and bringing them inside. At least you get to enjoy them a few extra days in a vase inside. Yeah, I do I do try that, but I just wondered if there was a way to prevent it uh, in the yard because they're so beautiful. I know. Yeah, not that I know of. I mean, of course, when we're talking about the roots and overall success of the plant, you know, well-draining soil is what they prefer. You obviously have them in great conditions because they do bloom for you. Um, mm-hmm. But really, no way. I've never heard of anybody, you know, going to great lengths to try to do overhead protection. Yeah, um, and the white looks... I have pink, but I've seen it in other yards, and they're white, and the white looks terrible when it gets wet. Just it does. Terrible. The blooms just turn brown because it browns so fast yeah mm-hmm. so do you have any other color varieties that may be a little hardier you know the darker <clears throat> colors no, are i haven't hold up attempted a little better. anymore these are just scrumptious <laughs> yeah. um, well, and my other question mm-hmm. is i have a uh, <clears throat> an oversized front yard and i don't want to have to deal with a lot of grass cutting and stuff is there a way that i could just start a <clears throat> random flower beds but i'm not sure how to go about it and just do i stick stuff in and just start one and just keep adding or absolutely i mean if if you have something in your mind a particular shape or an area that's going to be really good and maybe make a good uh bed like for example if you wanted to do uh, shade-loving perennials and make a bed underneath a tree where grass isn't going to grow, it's too shady. So that's a great place to start a flower bed and, and get something that can tolerate a little more shade. What you might want to do is just disrupt the grass, whether it's spraying Roundup to kill it out or just honestly keep covering it with some kind of mulch, whether it's pine bark or chips or pine straw, and start to smother out that grass a little bit, disturb it, dig the ground a little bit, turn it up. You're going to have to stay after it if there's really grass in the area to stop the grass from growing, but eventually it will. And I would just start planting once you turn that dirt a little bit. And the cluster planting is going to help, too, when you can plant some hostas close to one another or hellebores close to one another to where they can work together to shade out any weeds below and over time that grass as well. Um, Really, there's no strategy, though. Just wherever you think you'd want a garden bed that receives the amount of sun, that you know is required for plants that you like you can go ahead and start one well tell me this how do you keep it bordered so that the grass doesn't 
infringe on the bed? You know, it depends on what type of grass you have. Fescue's not really going to be a creeper and a crawler, so if you put any kind of edging up, even just a cheap something easy plastic, you know, that's going to keep fescue a nice border and a nice line out of a bed. But when you're talking about uh, ones that have stolons like Bermuda and Zoysia, where it actually spreads and it has those runners, that can go over edging. And that can also go underground as well with the rhizomes, and that Bermuda is just going to keep growing. So um, having a border with, with a warm season grass, like if you have Bermuda or Zoysia, having some kind of edging or border that you can bury into the ground at least four inches deep, that's going to keep the grasses from creeping under the border and then whatever you want on the top whether it's three or four inches high on the top above ground that should be enough to most of the time keep the stolen or the runners from crawling over but again just kind of manually edging you know with a weed eater every now and then or something is going to keep it keep it at bay but you can't forget about the underground rhizomes that that's you know grass will appear just growing down underneath the soil and then coming up where you don't want it Right, right. Okay, okay. Thank you. Absolutely. And another idea, too, Jennifer, before I let you go, uh, starting a new flower bed, too, you know, as we just talked about glyphosate, a roundup may not be ideal for killing patches of grass. And yes, you can spray that, wait about a week. The label even says you can wait 48 hours and plant, but I would wait a week after applying that to an area before planting anything. But maybe a better alternative is getting black landscape fabric just to kind of smother out the weeds to start. It's not something you're always going to need, but it's a good start. And then you can plant in that uh, landscape fabric as well, and that'll be a good weed barrier to get you started. How do you feel about vinegar? I see vinegars now that you can spray. Yeah, vinegar is still, it's just as toxic as a lot of the... um, you know, commercial pesticides and herbicides. Um, it still can be caustic to us as well, given, you know, what percentage it's at. So I wouldn't be fooled too much when you see vinegar marketed as a weed killer. It does work, um, but it's not going to have a different mode of action other than, you know, other herbicides and pesticides that are on the market as well. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Good to know. So, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the very good questions. Good luck with the flower beds. I think they're going to give you a lot more enjoyment than big areas of your lawn. It may be a little more maintenance, but you love your peonies. You love your flowers. Dahlias, we can start thinking about planting dahlias like in late April, early May. And that's another round of beautiful cut flowers that you can have in the landscape. 404-872-0750. Time to take a break. We'll be right back to Green and Growing on WSB. We hope you'll join us all week on Atlanta's Morning News, starting Monday at 5 a.m. With triple team traffic every six minutes to help your commute. Now back to Ashley Frasca and her great gardening advice on 95.5 WSB. Atlanta's News and Talk. 404-872-0750. Back out to the phones. Want to say good morning to Ron. Hey, Ron, welcome to the show. Hi, I'm pretty sure I just taking my call. I had a question about perennial, perennial ryegrass. What do you think about it? Is it's a good choice, or do you know much about it? <laughs> I don't know a whole lot about it, but what I do know is it's not really going to be sustainable with the really hot weather. So generally, we just think of that as more of a cool season grass. Uh, it can fill in some spots and hold some soil in place to prevent erosion and things like that. But as far as it being a lawn, it wouldn't really be successful, especially in the heat of summer. Well, I had uh, some of the annual ryegrass because I had to do uh, have some uh, bobcat work done in the front yard, whether the county messed it up. 
I understand that a perennial ryegrass lasts year after year. You know, I think that that's a good differentiation to make. So when we come back, I'll talk about that. I'll talk about the difference between perennial and ryegrass and also mowing. Some tips from UGA's Clint Waltz when we return. You're listening to WSB. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply.